Welcome to the discussion, HR Modernization Strategies in Government, sponsored by Workday. Here's today's moderator, Nicole Ogrisco. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Agencies uh, have long attempted to modernize and update their human capital management systems for the 21st century. And yes, modernizing means agencies can spend less time on transactional work, but it also means they can spend more time planning what the workforce will need next year, five years from now, and beyond. And as this last year has taught us all, planning ahead isn't an easy task, especially when agencies have been asked to pivot quickly to respond to a global pandemic and many other tough challenges. So today we're going to hear how agencies are modernizing, what those upgrades mean for their workforce, and how the last year has perhaps accelerated some of those plans or changed how they position their people to best tackle the mission. My guests today are Neil Singh. He's the Acting Executive Director for Human Capital Business Solutions at the Department of Homeland Security. We have Byron Atkins. He's the Director of the Interior Business Center for the Interior Department. We have Tracy Martini. She's the Chief Human Capital Officer at the General Services Administration. Tanisha Lewis is the HCM Performance and Business Readiness Manager for the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority. And we have Wayne Bobby. He's the Vice President for U.S. Federal Government at Workday. So welcome to the panel here. And just to, to start things off, um, to the panelists, would like each of you to just set the scene for us. Describe the current state of your human capital management system today, maybe how technology fits into the way you manage your workforce, and maybe what's changed in the last year or so. And Neil, why don't we start with you? Good morning, Nicole. So uh, DHS has a variety of systems, uh, different ages, different technologies. As, as you may know, DHS is comprised of what we call 10 components, uh, the different agencies that were merged together to form DHS. And we, we leverage uh, a lot of federal shared service providers. So, you know, OPM for uh, the, the USA suite of tools, the staffing, jobs, hire, performance, et cetera. Also NFC for some of our time in attendance, retirement services and, and payroll processing. But we're also leveraging a lot of commercial SaaS as well as uh, platform technologies that are allowing us to deliver capabilities and modernize capabilities to deploy services quicker to our employees. So over the, the next few years and what we're focused on right now is business automation, as well as creating an employee portal uh, that will allow self-service, uh, which, which is something that really everyone needs. I think the government is probably a little further behind private industry. I do everything right now uh, directly on my phone, get access to whatever I need. Systems are very intuitive, and I think the government needs to, to catch up to private industry. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. And Neil, just to jump off of that, the uh, employee portal that you mentioned, what do you anticipate might go into that? And, and what are you hoping to get out of that? So a, a lot of it's going to be the self-service or what we're calling the tier zero support. We want employees to be able to go out and find information so they can get, and, and, and let me back up, not just employees, but their families. Uh, you know, our DHS environment, you know, a lot of our employees are out in the field. They don't have contact with a, an office environment where they're able to quickly get on the computer. So their families a lot of times need access to the information that typically an employee would go to. So the employee portal and ultimately allow family members into that portal to go in and find the information that they need. Um, or if, if they can't get the information to be able to request the help from an HR representative and then also have transparency and be able to kind of track that request so they know where it is, which will improve our employee satisfaction and experience. So Byron, let me uh, jump to you here. Interior Business Center, you obviously deal with a large variety of agencies providing payroll, other HR services. Um, how would you describe kind of the, the current state of your human capital management system today? And, and what are you eyeing for the future here? Yeah, I, th I think we're very fortunate at the Department of Interior and certainly being a shared service provider um, with uh, several external customers, we are in a position where we're able to provide end-to-end -end integration with our HR systems by way of our transactions. And so um, we've leveraged OPM USA staffing to do um, uh, the entrance on duty. Um, that's all done electronically, um, which 
has been a, a huge help um, based upon what's occurred with the pandemic um, and folks working in a virtual environment. Um, but we're also very fortunate because our payroll and our HR uh, system are integrated. And so um, once you onboard, um, that's integrated within our payroll, um, our talent management and our performance management system is also integrated there. And so it is a one-stop shop, if you will. Um, once you come in, you're already set up um, for your performance management. And so that information is already in, it's all electronic um, from day one. Um, also from a talent management perspective and learning management, um, that information is already uploaded. So we know this is the required training that you need um, once you come into the Department uh, of Interior based upon what your job function is. And then finally, um, all this information is then forwarded into your electronic personnel file, our EOPF, um, which is all integrated. And so that saves a lot of time, um, eliminates a lot of duplication of effort, and that happens up front for the employee. And so that's uh, a great um, uh, integration and tool that we have um, to have all of our HR systems integrated um, to make it a smooth onboarding process um, for any employee that comes on board. And you're kind of getting it, getting it right from the start um, as it comes in. So you work out all the kinks up front um, and you're ready to get to roll once, once you start on day one. And so um, we're very fortunate with that and, and been, have over the years have been able to leverage um, technology um, to do that. It's also very helpful because uh, we represent employees across all across the country and, and um, geographically dispersed um, across the United States, Alaska, um, as well as Hawaii. My workforce is also across the, um, the country. And so we definitely need to be in a virtual posture um, to be able to communicate and support our customers and clients as well. And so um, we've been very fortunate to be able to use technology, um, this human capital data. It, it also creates a lot of data that we can use um, to help with our budgeting and forecasting, but most importantly as a shared service provider um, to assist with our costing and pricing models as well, because we are fee for service. So um, we use technology quite a bit. Larry, can you maybe give me an example of how you are leveraging technology? Yeah, so um, one of the things that, that we've done, um, quite frankly, that we're moving towards is looking at the data that we have from that's all been input there to look at where there's opportunities to use robotics process automation um, for highly manual processes, uh, um, things that we can allow our HR specialists um, not to do these manual things, but to really do the consultative um, and analytical work um, to help our customers with human capital planning. And so um, we're in the process of doing an assessment right now to look at where those highly manual functions are um, using robot um, bots and, and RPA uh, to be able to leverage that to allow um, the RPA or the bots to do those manual processes. And so um, that's an uh, example of, of where we're, we're going as an organization. And that's not just across our HR line of business, it's also within our financial management line of business as well, where we have um, eight bots already in production. And so this is a capability that we are looking to leverage. And, and moreover, it's something that our customers are asking for. Um, they really wanna look at where there are opportunities to um, use uh, robotics process automation to um, uh, do some of these manual uh, uh, functions uh, that are currently being done by our federal employees. Tracy, let me bring you in here. Um, where do things sit today with your human capital management system and, and what are you looking forward uh, to in the future here? So we've been really fortunate. GSA is such a forward-leaning agency when it comes to the use of technology. A few years ago, we moved to a cloud-based system, um, a product called HR Links, which integrated our personnel system and became very friendly in terms of the interface for the employees. So they could stop there, you know, do their time in attendance. They can download an SF-50 if they need a recent copy. Their performance plans are in the system. Um, but I do want to piggyback on something Byron said, because while we're continuing to move forward and self-service is very important because employees oftentimes just have a very quick answer and we want to be able to give it to them, whether it be on their phone or on their laptop. Um, the bots issue has also come up at GSA and it would be great to start to use more robotic functionality to do the um, the low, low touch work as many transactional items are. However, I always clarify and remind people that doesn't mean we should be shrinking our HR offices because as we move to more consultative business strategies and to be providing more high dollar, high value services, you really need a cadre of very well-trained, high-graded people to provide it. We're looking ahead right now with what we're calling the future of work as we come back from a pandemic. 
what is what that's going to look like is so incredibly exciting for GSA, but also for the entire government. But it has the opportunity to completely flip federal HR on its head, which means we need even more investments in people and in technology. So this is like the golden hour. I'm I'm talking about it this way with my CIO, Dave Shive, where we have to capitalize it and really put forth the argument why we need stronger investments in HR, IT, why the systems need to talk to each other, and then also focusing on the high touch um, areas such as strategy, data analytics. Byron brought up some great examples of how the data can be used to inform future decisions, but it still is going to take a very well-trained, diverse group of HR specialists to move in this direction. Because back under hiring reform in 2010, 2011, and I'm sure my colleagues on the phone remember that, great initiative, but it doesn't happen overnight. Because as you move from a transactional to a strategic workforce, we not only have to upskill and retrain our employees, we have to really retrain our customers because they're used for HR doing everything for them and there will be some things they should be able to do themselves. One other opportunity we're looking at GSA is having more self-service for our hiring managers. They can track where their jobs are instead of saying, I think it's with HR. I can't remember. It might be with them. They can see in real time when the job closes, how many applications we're getting, when the hiring panel should begin. And even taking a step back from that, looking how we might infuse AI technology into our looking looking at the applications and seeing which applications may be higher ranked. But again, you still need personnel in there to guide the process because the AI functionalities are only going to be useful when you have really highly trained HR specialists training the computers what to do. So it is an evolution and this is now the time to do it but it's going to take many resources. And, and I hope that there's an appetite there to give it to us. So Tracy, you brought up a, a ton of great points. Definitely wanna to get to that future work conversation that you brought up a little bit later in this discussion. And I, I'm glad you brought up the uh, conversation that, that I'm hearing as well about just more resources for HR, just because you're perhaps automating some of these services that people previously provided, you still need people around to do that strategic work. Um, so definitely great points and I wanna come back to those. Um, but I do quickly wanna bring in Tanisha here. Um, what are you seeing from your end of things? And, and briefly, can you give us a, a quick, you know, maybe 36 second rundown of um, your organization and what you all do? Sure. Um, so the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority is responsible for managing the um, National Airport and Dallas Airport, the Silver Line construction, uh, which is the metro system that uh, takes uh, our passengers from the city out to Dallas Airport. And we're also um, partaking on a number of huge construction projects. So our organization is very much like a small city very much uh, similar to a government. Um, we have over 1,700 employees that work here um, that make sure that the airports run smoothly and are safe for our passengers. Um, about uh, three years ago, we had the opportunity to implement a workday solution, which was very, very, um, it was an amazing process, which helped to move our organization from a very transactional um, process to more proactive, um, modernized HCM solution. And so we have um, now transitioned to a new system that allows us to have a self-service option for all of our employees, kind of similar to what Tracy um, was discussing earlier. It has truly moved our HCM um, team from that transactional team to more a business analytics team, um, where they're more um, proactive rather than reactive. And so this has been an amazing process for us. And um, we're really proud to say that we've made that transition to, um, to the cloud and software as a service um, as an organization. So it's been very good for us. So Wayne, I wanna bring you here in here at this point. Just tell us, I mean, what are you seeing with your customers in this space? Uh, what are some of the challenges they're dealing with and, and how are they uh, trying to resolve them? So it's interesting as I um, hear the, the comments from folks that are kind of on the front lines here, uh, leading these HCM efforts in their agencies. Um, you know, I heard a lot about, you know, being less transactional and being more informational, you know, more in self-service, that sort of thing. And I think that's what the demands are, you know, today. Um, years ago, when we all first started using technology, probably the best technology or the most advanced technology we had was in our jobs at work. Today, for all of us, probably the most advanced technology we have is we carry in our 
in our hand or in our purse, you know, um, which is, you know, our, you know, our mobile devices, you know, um, iPhones and, 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 uh, and other devices that we use. And I think that that's where people really want to go. I mean, they want, they want to, they want to be informational. They want to know where things stand in terms of, you know, their jobs their positions. And people want to know as a part of their HCM system that, uh, I'm a part of an organization that's provided me a career, not just a job. And as a part of that career, you know, I was able to do everything through a, 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 a technology capability that enabled me to be onboarded as an employee and go through an application process that was very intuitive for me. Once I got on board, provided me benefits, you know, in a very self-service-oriented way that answered all the questions I would have for me and my family based on the situation that I may be in. Gave me, you know, uh, a succession plan forward, an individual development plan as a part of learning efforts, as a part of that career that I'm a part of, and then allowed me to get performance feedback from my manager as I went through the whole life cycle. And people want to do this in a simple, easy to use fashion, like I said, in terms of how they do things in their daily lives, you know, on their phones, mobile devices, or how they pay their bills with their bank online. So all these things are in our, in our, in our HCM solutions today. Uh, and we, that's what we provide here at Workday. Great. So a lot more to get into here, uh, but we're going to take a quick break. I'm your moderator, Nicola Grisco, for the panel discussion, HR Modernization Strategies in Government, sponsored by Workday on Federal News Network. We'll be right back. The world is changing faster than ever. Keep up with the Enterprise Cloud from Workday. A single system to continuously plan for every what-if scenario. Workday, the finance, HR, and planning system for a changing world. Welcome back to the panel discussion, HR Modernization Strategies in Government, sponsored by Workday on Federal News Network. My guests today are Neil Singh, the Acting Executive Director for Human Capital Business Solutions at the Department of Homeland Security. We have Byron Atkins. He's the Director of the Interior Business Center at the Interior Department. We also have Tracy D. Martini. She's the Chief Human Capital Officer at the General Services Administration. Tanisha Lewis, the HCM Performance and Business Readiness Manager for the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority. And of course, we have Wayne Bobby, the Vice President of U.S. Federal Government at Workday. And I'm your moderator, Nicola Grisco. So I heard, you know, many of our panelists talk a lot about uh, the need for self-services. Many of you already had HR self-services in place uh, for employees. You know, Neil mentioned uh, the need or desire to build a uh, employee portal. Um, but I wonder how has that need for employee self-services maybe evolved in this last year during the pandemic? You know, you don't have employees physically there at the office to submit a form for a personnel change or something like that. Um, so how has that changed for you all in the last year? Um, Byron, would you like to get us started here? Sure, we um, are actually in the process of making investment towards a, a self-service capability. We don't have it currently. Um, part of our information technology optimization program is where we are assessing all of our applications and IT uh, programs that we have. Um, to look at where we can use technology and really move um, the services we provide into the 21st century. And um, that's based upon feedback we've gotten for our customers, um, particularly with folks being at home in the pandemic. Um, what we're hearing is folks want the opportunity to have um, services and information 24 seven. And we think the best way to achieve that would be with a self-service portal. But also I think we also have a, um, a workforce that is, um, really prepared and looking forward to um, having the opportunity to be able to service themselves. Um, I think um, it's a different type of workforce. Um, workforce is evolving. And I think, um, as you know, being at home, you don't have um, uh, the colleague to come by to say, hey, can you help me with this? Or um, the HR servicing uh, specialist that's down the hall that you can ask a question. Um, and so I think a lot of things um, within our customers, but also within our workforce, um, we've realized that folks um, want the capability and are capable of providing um, those self-services. And so we're not there yet, um, but that is part of our HR um, IT roadmap to get there um, to where folks can have the opportunity to self-service and do some of those you know, tier zero type of activities that really doesn't require a HR specialist to be a part of. 
Tracy, you mentioned this need for self-services as well. So um, what are you seeing at GSA? What might be in the works there? Um, tell us tell us a little bit more. Sure. So what we're doing right now is my shop is coordinating with GSA's um, Office of Information Technology to bring in a ServiceNow platform that will allow our hiring managers in particular to track their job postings in real time. Because often we hear there's an air of mystery about how long it takes to get a job in federal government, but we're able to actually show you know, how long the process takes and also the volume applications. That's one thing I will never get tired of talking about because people think you know, that applications just go into an HR shop never to be heard from again. But last year in GSA, we had about 1,300 jobs that we were posting for. And for that, we received over 66,000 applications. So you're hiring fewer than 2% of the people that apply. And it's good for our hiring managers to have that line of sight to see if you open a job government-wide, you may get fewer applications, but if it's in DC, you still may have to sort through hundreds and hundreds of applications to find the candidates that are best qualified. So we think just having some of that transparency will take away some of the questions that our customers have and allow them to be a greater part of the process. Process. Again, a lot of this is going to be a culture change for agencies because they want HR shops to do most of the work. But at the same time, we're trying to really shift the conversation to a partnership and make sure they understand why they are an important part of all hiring decisions. So we're hoping the use of technology like ServiceNow and other platforms that are designed to provide those snapshots in real time. So the information is current and people know what the next steps are and where it is in the process, whether it be waiting to create a certificate or if someone is hanging out in a security background check, sometime we're not hearing from the applicants in a timely manner. So it reminds us to give them a nudge. We think that'll help bring the temperature down a bit and people will be a bit more understanding. I also, again, I think it helps put the focus back on HR as a professional operation. HR is a strategic business partner. It's not just creating SF-52s and pushing things through the system. The process is so complex. There are so many codes. There are so many but what if scenarios when you're processing a person's application or a retirement action or maybe leave a leave issue, we need to have those conversations on an ongoing basis. So we do it right the first time and we have better data because I think all of my colleagues on the phone would agree that's also a pain point. When you have the volume of paper that we have going through HR shops, data integrity and data quality is our number one concern. So the more we can have our customers be a part of that and make sure that they're entering things. I remember, Byron, when I worked at EEOC, we used IBC and you had to key in your own social security number, which is a brilliant idea because people should not make a mistake doing that. Spoiler alert, they totally do anyway, and you have to go back and fix it. But it, it puts the onus on them to do some of that work that an HR specialist might do and accidentally transpose given the volume they have. So again, there's a lot of cultural change that goes along with embracing technology, but I think it's the right time to do it. Tracy, I wanted to jump on the, the hiring bit that you talked about and, and bringing more visibility to the process through data, which I think is a complaint that I'm sure many organizations have fielded over the years with applicants not knowing where they are in the process. You know, days have passed, weeks, maybe months have passed by since they've heard back from the agency and they don't know, you know, where they are in the system. Can you maybe just describe a little bit more how you're going to use that data um, in that way to maybe sure. bring more light onto the hiring process and what's working and, and not? Sure. So the internal process um, using a platform like ServiceNow or other technologies will allow the hiring managers to see where we are in each phase. USA Jobs is designed to already do that. But again, it's a workload issue. So if I only have for an agency the size of GSA, I have 12,000 employees. If I have roughly 80 staffing specialists and they do everything from soup to nuts, it's going to be a lower priority to go in and update every application status in USA Jobs not because we don't think our applicants are important, they are, and we want them to have a good experience, but there's about 363 other things the specialist has to do. And the most important one in that scenario would be getting the hiring action complete. So I, I'm sure many of your listeners have had, and I personally had this even as a Chico, where I apply for a job and a year later, I receive a notice from USA Jobs that gives me a status update. 
That is just because the volume of work never ends in an HR shop. And it still takes a human component to go in there and check the box that says job is closed. You know, you were not selected. So those are things we're still looking at. And I do believe the Office of Personnel Management has done a great job with very few resources and very few IT investments given to them to try and make their platforms as user friendly as possible. But we still have a long way to go. Neil, I want to bring you in here. Um, DHS, obviously, wide variety of positions, lots of uh, different kinds of work duties and, and jobs and all of that. Um, when it comes to you know the hiring question, maybe measuring how long it takes, how many applicants you're getting, um, you know what the process looks like, where are you all um, in that space and, and what are you seeing there? Well, one of the first things we had to do, and, and I know we've talked a lot about these tools and, and, and automating processes, that before you can go in and automate a process, you've got to evaluate the process and make it efficient. And so we, we've started by coming up with target processes, streamlining, because again, if you just automate a process that's bad, you're just going to do bad stuff faster. Uh, so we, we, the, one of the first ones we started with was onboarding. We looked at areas where we could standardize across the department because, again, we have 10 different components that have 10 different missions. Um, and, and some of them even have different methods of hiring where they start with pools of employees uh, that they can pull from as the opportunities open up. So we, we've done a lot in that area to allow us to, to, to track and measure the same way. Uh, honestly, we haven't gotten there yet. And part of it is because we're still in the process of of getting those standard onboarding processes implemented in the multiple staffing solutions that we have. And then once we get there, we'll be using data integration to you know, pull all the information into our, we have a human capital enterprise information environment that we use for our reporting and analytics. And that way we can get, and, and off of those standards and off of those workflows, we can start to get our time to hires and metrics around that. Tanisha, I saw a, a couple of head nods and, and smiles from you. Um, when it comes to hiring with your organization, I mean, where are you um, with this and, and how are you using data perhaps to um, make this process simpler, faster, et cetera? Well, let me just say that I've been in both Tracy and Neil's position. Um, prior to implementing Workday, we did fully manual processes for everything. We had something called a PE10, which was a dreadful form that managers had to fill out to fill a position. Um, applicants, the application process was so long that we saw over 50% of our candidates dropping out of the, pro the process. And so um, once we you know, found Workday and all of its capabilities, um, it was like a whole new world for us. Um, similar to Neil, our organization prior to um, purchasing Workday sat down and said, look, we've got to look at these business processes and get a better understanding of the areas that we need to improve or the areas where we're having redundancies or just inefficiencies. And so we did that and um, took a look at it. And then when we started entering the process with Workday, we had strong conversations with our teams about customization, making sure that our hiring process, regardless of the role that we're hiring for, whether it's a trades employee, accountant, or professional employee, that we are prepared with a business process that's efficient, streamlined, and that the application process is simple for the candidate. So um, once we implemented Workday, we were able to um, reduce the redundancies in our system and actually identify efficiencies um, with the Workday business practices. And so it's been a great help. I will say that after implementing Workday, we had a wealth of data and that we never had before. We had a system that was 13 years old that didn't work really well. It took us days to pull data. With Workday, you have real-time data. Immediately, our employees, our managers, our candidates can take a look at their hiring process and see where the applications are, whether they're in the background process or interview phase. Then our HR team can take that data and analyze and identify areas that we need to improve on. So we take a look at that data and say, hey, wait a minute, we're losing all of these candidates. Let's figure out why. Let's take a look at the job requirements, the qualifications, and make sure that we're not actually uh, harming our candidates and eliminating candidates and ensuring that we have diversity in our candidate pools. So we take a look at all of that data, whether it's um, 
the experiences, the education, the backgrounds of our applicants, and we adjust our job um, postings to make sure that we have the candidate pool that we need um, to select from so that we can get the best candidate. Um, so I would say that our hiring process at the moment um, actually went from almost 200 steps and is now down to 25 steps, all with data attached to each one of those business processes. Very valuable data that we use day to day to make decisions about our hiring process and the types of candidates that we're looking for. So now the future for us is integrating artificial intelligence in our hiring process to streamline it even further and um, to improve our selections. So I would say that you know um, technology has made a huge impact um, and the Workday system has made a huge impact on how we select, recruit, and hire the best talent in the region. So Wayne, uh, Tanisha just said that, you know, her organization has uh, gotten more data than, you know, she had previously because she's implemented these new systems. When you speak to your customers about their, um, you know, digital transformation, essentially with hiring, I mean, have you heard from them that they're, you know, are they able to draw on data, find data and use it in different ways than perhaps, you know, they didn't expect? Um, wondering if you can talk about that a little bit. No, we're, we're seeing that a great deal. And I just want to pick up on something that I, it was a general theme that, that I heard from, um, from the panelists here is um, the federal government in terms of the hiring. And, 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 and I look at some of the statistics, which would tell us that less than 10% uh, of the federal workforce is under 30 years old. So there's a major hiring effort going on right now to, to bring on the next generation um, you know, federal workforce. Um, going back to Tracy's point, I don't think we have a sourcing problem in terms of number of applicants. We have a quality of the applicant problem. So, so uh, the systems today, you know, and, and the data we're collecting is not to give us more candidates, but give us better candidates. They're going to be a better fit in our organization to use analytics, to use performance indicators, to use historical uh, measures that we have about the people who joined our organization. What were the characteristics about those people? What caused them to stay in, in these organizations for a 20 year career, have a very successful career path as a part of that. These are the kind of individuals we, we wanna be pursuing that are the best fits, the, who are the best fit in our organization. So I think um, some of these uh, examples we just heard and, and using the, uh, Tanisha's point here at, 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 the, uh, at the end there, in terms of how can organizations like Workday provide people those types of machine learning, analytics, artificial intelligence. So you're not just sourcing more candidates, but you're sourcing better candidates. So we can make that HR person's job that much easier and more efficient as they staff for these positions going forward. And if I could, Nicole, because they were, sure. that is such an excellent point that Wayne brought up, but I do think there's another component we need to look at because you're absolutely right, Wayne. We don't need more uh, candidates. We need candidates with the skill set for the federal government of the future. But we also need to take a realistic look at what federal uh, federal hiring managers are competing with. And again, right now we are at a precipice where we can decide how to reform how the federal government works, where we work, where we hire candidates from, where we what flexibilities we give them in order to be more competitive. Because yes, the hiring process is definitely a pain point where we sometimes lose candidates. We also can't compete with salaries. We can't compete with certain flexibilities. And frankly, we can't compete with just keeping the workforce modernized or the workplace modernized and actually having the investments in the IT systems that people want and need to do their job more effectively and more efficiently. I think it's always so comical when we're called on the carpet as HR managers to say, why can't you do a better job recruiting candidates? Why can't you get more candidates coming to federal government? Well, since the first time we had sequestration in 2013, the average pay raise for the last nine years has been 0.9%, with health costs skyrocketing beyond 36% usually. So we're not paying them what they deserve. We are not giving them the workforce flexibilities. It took a worldwide pandemic for some agencies to grasp the concept of telework. And we just aren't doing a good job staying competitive. Put all of that together with the fact that in 2021, we're sitting here having a discussion about investing in HR information technology systems. And it's no wonder we can't make any headway. It should be very much common sense to give the HR operations team 
the tools that they need and the investments they need. And oftentimes when you look at federal budgets, HR and IT are the first ones to get cut. And it just makes no sense. So Tracy, I think that's a great point. We do have to take a quick break, but there's a lot to get into uh, with future of work conversations, where you all are headed uh, now that we've you know, spent a year essentially uh, working remotely, uh, but we will take a short break. I'm your moderator, Nicola Grisco for the panel discussion, HR Modernization Strategies in Government, sponsored by Workday on Federal News Network. The world is changing faster than ever. Keep up with the enterprise cloud from Workday a single system to continuously plan for every what-if scenario. Workday, the finance, HR, and planning system for a changing world. Welcome back to the panel discussion, HR Modernization Strategies in Government, sponsored by Workday on Federal News Network. My guests today are Neil Singh, the Acting Executive Director for Human Capital Business Solutions at the Department of Homeland Security. We have Byron Atkins, the Director of the Interior Business Center, Tracy Martini, the Chief Human Capital Officer at the General Services Administration, Tanisha Lewis, the HCM Performance and Business Readiness Manager for the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority, and Wayne Bobby, the Vice President for the U.S. Federal Government at Workday. Now, before we took a break, Tracy talked about um, just kind of this new world that we're all in and the opportunity that agencies have moving forward now that we have spent the last year or so working remotely, teleworking, and I have to say from my perspective, really have seen a mindset shift and, um, you know, agencies are thinking about this differently now. And I think they see telework and remote work as an opportunity to widen the applicant pool, hire anyone from anywhere. And of course that could, you know, bring in new opportunities to maybe reach people that you weren't reaching before, people who may not have considered the federal government because, you know, they didn't live near a federal hub. Um, so I want to, you know, touch on that with each of you. Um, what are you thinking about, you know, this new world that we're entering in here with remote work, telework? How is that going to change the way you hire, who you hire, how? Um, Neil, why don't we, we start with you? So uh, DHS is a little unique. So we have what I call the back office staff, which, which I would fall into the IT, the HR, finance. Um, but we also have a lot of frontline personnel where we don't have those flexibilities and, and we need to have people out in the field. They, they can't telework. So, and that is a large uh, portion of our population of employees. Um, so I'm going to just focus on what, what's in my little circle of influence, which is the, the HRIT group that, that we work on. And, and I think remote work, uh, and, I, and I will say I was one of those that didn't always fully believe in remote work until we fell into this pandemic. Um, and and I, I've got to say, I was really impressed at, at how the technology that our CIO provided with, with things like Teams and Zoom and, and how those technologies advanced so quick to allow us to do the work um, and stay connected. Because I think, you know, just like we're, we're on camera today, I think body language uh, is very important in conversations and communication and having tools that allow us to do that are, are really helpful, whether it's the hiring process or, or just day-to-day -day business. So I think telework is, is something and remote work is something that is going to stick around. Um, I, it, I, and I think it's a good thing. And it does. It opens up the applicant pool. We have people right now supporting HRIT at DHS uh, from California to Texas, to Florida. Uh, so it really doesn't matter where they work and it, it's allowing us access to the people with the right skills to support the technologies that we're putting in place. Because again, technology, you know, like other uh, functions, uh, technology is always changing. That's the only constant in technology. So you've got to keep your, your skill sets and your employees getting upskilled, reskilled uh, to keep current. Because if you don't and you don't continue with the training, you're just going to fall behind. And, and so having access to a larger population to support us is, is absolutely necessary. And Neil, I know that, you know, for you all hiring uh, workers, frontline workers in some pretty remote areas has been a challenge, you know, border patrol, um, ICE, that kind of thing. And perhaps maybe remote work might uh, give you opportunities to maybe hire spouses, family members, et cetera, who, maybe wouldn't want to move to a remote location or they, they, they struggle to find work in a remote location. But, 
you know, now with telework, that might give you some new opportunities there as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, similar to, to the way the military works with the, the family members and, you know, they constantly have to move around and they are in different you know, parts, not just of the country, but the world um, and having the ability, you know, I think it really opens us up globally rather than just across the country to, to access to talent and employees. Byron, how are you thinking about remote work uh, now that we've, we've had this experience for the past year plus? You know, I, I think as, as, as leaders, we need to give our hiring managers and, and supervisors as much flexibility and tools to bring on talent as possible. And, and I think one of those tools is being able to allow employees the opportunity to work remotely. And so I want the best candidate. I don't care if they're in Florida, California, or Alaska. I want the best candidate that's going to be able to provide the mission enabling services that our organizations does um, for our customers. Um, uh, to Neil's point, um, a lot of our customers and the bureaus do need to be out in the field, but the work that we do at IBC is very much back office mission enabling work. And so what that means is that I can get um, the same level of performance from someone that works in our Denver campus as we get from our Washington DC campus. And so I wanna make sure that I'm arming my hiring managers with the maximum amount of flexibility um, and incentives to bring in the talent that they need, particularly um, in some of the hard to field positions. And so we have over 200 1102 contracting officers. Everybody is, is, is jockeying for the same pool of skillful uh, contracting officers and trained contracting officers um, across the country. And so if it means um, that we can keep a GS-14 contracting officer um, by allowing them to work remotely, I think it's worth it um, because the manpower and the cost that it takes to recruit and bring someone on board um, far outweighs um, in the time that it would uh, outweighs the cost of having someone working remote. Um, and I think because of the pandemic, we found interesting um, and innovative ways to engage with our employees um, using Microsoft Teams, Zoom, um, having opportunities and being more engaging um, with town halls. I think leaders have been more creative about doing that to make sure that we are replicating as much as possible um, being in the office. And so um, we've pivoted very well. Um, and I think that's the direction um, that the entire government should be going towards for the 21st century. So Tracy, let me bring you in here because GSA has been um, a proponent of telework for a while, your, your experience with this. So how do you maybe use you know, some of these technologies that we've been talking about for the past couple of minutes here? How do you use that to provide that employee experience that Byron just mentioned, maybe replicate the, the office experience if you're not you know, seeing the employees day to day, if you're hiring somebody from across the country that's maybe not ever going to come into the office. How do you, how do, you do that? So I will say, I think one of the greatest revelations to me is it's starting to level the playing field because now I'm consciously spending more time with my employees um, whether they're in DC, which is where I happen to be based, or my managers that are spread across the 11 regions that GSA operates, because we're doing everything via Zoom or Google Chat or Microsoft Teams. So I think there's a lot to be said for the virtual environment because it's bringing people together and the communication is much more intentional and you feel like you're making a stronger effort, which is a good thing. One of the areas that we haven't touched on though, but it's something I'm fascinated by, is we might also become more intentional about the managers and the leaders we hire. I loved Byron's point. We're gonna get serious about hiring the best talent no matter where they live. The same needs to be said for our supervisors and our executive leadership. There has still been a continued focus on technical acumen, but the people that have been most successful the last 13 months are those with a strong degree of emotional intelligence that know how to lead people and to manage performance, whether people are in the building or are virtual, and who are just good leaders. And as we make this transition, we're gonna have to really focus on that skill set because it's a great opportunity to finally focus on strong leadership in the federal government instead of business acumen. And I think that we are just set up for perfect success if we can capitalize on it and shed some of our old ways of thinking. One last point I think that's also important and Byron touched on it as well, is about retention. Because I've heard Wayne mention several times about the aging federal workforce. 
I would love to be able to retain some of my employees that are inching towards retirement, but maybe wanting to relocate to a warmer climate or to be closer to their family and friends in a different part of the country. If I can give them the flexibility to continue working a little bit longer while also doing knowledge transfer to more junior staff who are going to come up the ranks, to me, it's a win-win. Instead of people running for the door for the next phase of life, we're letting them take these opportunities and embrace them so we still have a skilled workforce in place and we continue to grow our new employees that are coming in at entry-level jobs. Tanisha, let me bring you in here because I saw a couple more head nods and, and smiles from you, especially when Tracy mentioned uh, the leadership acumen piece. Um, how has that come into play for you all, uh, especially as you might have more people working remotely than maybe you did before? So it's really interesting that you would bring that up. Tracy, we are so focused on emotional intelligence in our organization. It is so key to us. And so recently, we've really focused on upskilling our leadership, supervisory, and management skills. And um, a key proponent of that is emotional intelligence assessments and actually doing a lot of coaching with our leaders because as you all know, travel, transportation, aviation, no one's, no one's traveling right now. And that's been a challenge for us. And of course it causes stress for our employees. And so we've built into all of our learning programs, components of emotional intelligence, ensuring that they're aware of their emotions and their employees' emotions and how it impacts the business and how it impacts our interactions with our employees and customers. So it's really important to us that we incorporate that in our learning. And most recently, um, we purchased Workday Learning Solution. Um, and we're integrating that Workday Learning Solution into everything that we do. So if we notice that there's someone who's recently uh, moved to a telework opportunity with supervisory experience or requirements in that job, we're pushing that emotional intelligence, the supervisory training programs that they need to be successful in those roles because it's really hard to make that transition and it's even harder to make that transition while teleworking. So we're working really closely with our um, organization development team to implement workday learning and to connect all of the dots across hiring, uh, promotion, um, changing in jobs to that learning experience and incorporating emotional intelligence in that uh, process because teleworking takes away that emotion. You don't get to see their face. You don't get to interact or feel their you know, the emotion that the employee is experiencing. So there's some things that we have to do to make sure that we're aware of um, how our employees are feeling. Because some of this, you know, with the separation of people and the inability to meet together, there comes some kind of change in your mental state for some employees. And we're very much attuned to that. Wait, let me bring you in here. How are you all, you know, even as a company, thinking about this virtual world that we're in and, and how are you, you know, working with employees, perhaps training them, reskilling them maybe? Um, how have you used this time to engage with them virtually? Uh, I, just so much great content here. Just just amazing to hear just all the different uh, perspectives. So, um, and let me say this to to uh, the, my colleagues here, you know, that are uh, um, on the panel. Uh, I think we sometimes uh, fail to recognize that I th the U.S. government is probably the most complex enterprise out there. Um, you know, Workday sells to you know um, uh, all of the 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 the, uh, the, the verticals in, in in private industry, but when you look at the federal government. All those same industries exist within the federal space, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, there's healthcare in the federal space. We do healthcare. We run hospitals at VA and all the DoD medical centers, as well as some other agencies. There's retail operations and you know um, and, and retail stores and uh, commissaries and and um, and, and uh, um, you know Costco-like, Walmart-like operations in, in DoD. You know. Um, there's, uh, there's treasury financial services at treasury, uh, insurance, like functionality at like social security. So you start to go through it. There's, there's hospitality, national parks, um, which part of the Department of interior where Byron is, and uh, they have a hospitality function. So we can go on and on about, you know, what takes place here. So as we see this and I, and, and I've just been at Workday since the end of January, and just and one of the things that drew me to Workday is. Kind of their approach to all this and what workday had done is 
they started in the private sector first, and then they started in higher education, moved to state and local government, and then ultimately into the federal government spaces, which they're doing now. And it's a recognition of the complexity of the, the markets that they enter in terms of understanding what we need to be skilled in before we enter that market. We talked about using uh, retirees to help us. Well, um, in a workday system, you can track your retirees and where they are today if you decide to do that. So you can kind of, because you don't want to use that longstanding intelligence and skill level that may, that may you know, that you may have with all, all your retirees. So we, we give you the ability to hold on to that, you know, that uh, to your retirees and the information about those retirees and how you can sort of leverage those folks that are going forward. Um, you know, the last few years, uh, Workday established what they call a vibe index. So value, inclusion, belonging, equity. And we allow you based on the folks in your organization to create a vibe index or vibe score to see how well you're representing what you do as an organization and how well you represent that as a part of all those customers, constituents that you interact with. So there's so many things going on and the demands we're seeing today out of the human capital management systems are far greater. I heard the, all the panelists say this uh, today. There's so many greater demands in the human capital management systems today than ever existed before. And it's just an opportunity to just, uh, just revolutionize what we're doing in support of human capital management in this next generation workforce. Yeah, you know, Wayne, I think that's a great point to end on actually. And, and all of you have touched on this. Um, the, the, the moment that we're in now, I think has uh, really shown just how much emphasis uh, and how important people are to all of these missions and, and what all of these agencies do. And of course you need resources and um, you know thought and, and time and attention behind all of that. Um, I think we could talk about this uh, quite a bit longer, um, but unfortunately we do have to wrap up. I'd like to thank today's guest, uh, Neil Singh, the Acting Executive Director for Human Capital Business Solutions at the Department of Homeland Security, Byron Atkins, the Director of the Interior Business Center, Tracy Martini, the Chief Human Capital Officer at the General Services Administration, Tanisha Lewis, the HCM Performance and Business Readiness Manager for the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority, and Wayne Bobby, the Vice President for the U.S. Federal Government at Workday. I'm your moderator, Nicola Grisco, and you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Workday. Thank you for listening to the discussion, HR Modernization Strategies in Government, sponsored by Workday on Federal News Network.